My name is Dr. Tram Jones, and since 2019, my wife and I have been living in Haiti. This is the story of our life there and the patients we've seen. This is the third in a five-part series on earthquakes in Haiti. In the first episode, we discussed the devastation that was wrought by the 2010 earthquake. In episode two, we delved into the international relief effort and started to touch on how things went wrong. In this episode and the next, we're going to talk about two organizations that worked in Haiti at this time. The first famously stumbled and came up short. The second succeeded and continues to thrive today. Talking about these two examples is important to both Haitians and Americans. For Haitians, the reason is obvious, that help would reach them effectively. But for Americans, we don't want to waste money. The last thing any of us wants to do is donate money and for it to go to no use. Today, we're going to talk about the role of the American Red Cross, and particularly as it relates to housing. And why have we chosen the American Red Cross? Because this single organization raised more funds than any other NGO after the 2010 earthquake. It struggled to affect real change. And for Haitians, the failure has made the American Red Cross synonymous with the failure of international aid in their country. And yet, the issues faced were emblematic of the problems across the country in the aftermath of the earthquake. This was far from an isolated incident. Notice that I have been careful to say the American Red Cross. Remember that the Red Cross is a different organization in every country. There is the Canadian Red Cross, the French Red Cross. In Islamic countries, it's known as the Red Crescent. You have the Moroccan Red Crescent and the Saudi Arabian Red Crescent. These are all separately incorporated organizations that link together and coordinate with one another. And the issues here rest firmly with the American Red Cross. From now on, when I refer to the Red Cross, I'm talking about the American branch. If you talk to Haitians, this is a massive sore spot. In the days after the earthquake, the American Red Cross began raising funds. First, there was a text to give. Millions were raised. Then, celebrities from Michelle Obama to sports stars appealed for donations. And lastly, the Red Cross was one of the recipients for a massive fundraising concert for Haiti. Many of you will remember it. It featured George Clooney, Alicia Keys, Coldplay, Halle Berry, Bruce Springsteen, and dozens more. It had almost every American celebrity in one way or another. As these efforts gathered steam, the Haiti Fund at the Red Cross grew rapidly. And then it kept growing. With emergency aid, there is often a limit to how much money one organization can spend responsibly. For example, Doctors Without Borders stopped accepting donations for Haiti after they felt they had enough for their mission. Yet, the American Red Cross never stopped. Eventually, the organization raised $500 million, half a billion, for one organization. And then there was the catch. The American Red Cross does amazing work in the United States. Again, in the United States. They respond to flooding, hurricanes, and fires. They run our national blood banks. When I was a physician in the U.S., I ordered blood from the Red Cross every week. They're efficient and reliable, and yet they are not accustomed to working in a developing country. They fell into the classic trap of organizations unaccustomed to working in poor environments. They overpromised, underdelivered, and undervalued Haitian opinions. As the coffers grew, the Red Cross noted that they had more than enough for their emergency relief medications, hygiene kits, that kind of thing. So they shifted much of their focus towards something else, housing. In the wake of a natural disaster, I would argue that permanent housing is the most important and difficult challenge. 
If it helps bring it home, let's take it from the point of view of an American disaster. Let's talk about Hurricane Sandy. You have the initial emergency needs. Water bottles, medicines, tents. But these aren't really overly expensive. A water bottle is a couple dollars. A tent is pretty cheap. But to replace a home? That's tough. The costs mount rapidly. But it is also essential. When we think about moving past something like Hurricane Sandy, in many ways we mean that families are back in their homes or a new home. If you're still displaced, you've not moved past the disaster. As the Red Cross pivoted, they ran into problems building homes. They could never gain traction, and millions of dollars were never put to use. And yet, if you look at their promotional material, the Red Cross has stated that it provided homes for 130,000 Haitians after the earthquake. Now, this doesn't sound too bad, does it? But you have to understand what they mean when they say they provided homes. As you look into their reports, you see that this included people who attended seminars on how to fix their homes and people who received temporary rent assistance. Further, it included plywood structures that rotted in the tropical rains and heat within a year or two. But, to be fair, it did include six, yes six, permanent homes. How was this possible? If you talk to some Haitians, they will tell you that they assume that the American Red Cross stole the money. I want to be clear that I don't think this is the case. I think it's something more mundane, more boring. The Red Cross was not evil. They simply didn't understand the situation in Haiti. If you look at the Red Cross team after the earthquake, it was more than 90% Haitian. This sounds great, right? Using local capacity. Well, maybe. The question is not what percentage of your staff is Haitian. The question is whether they are in leadership positions with real power. Investigations into the situation have revealed that there were almost no Haitian leaders in decision-making positions. There were complaints of disdain for Haitian staff. But again, the situation is complex, and I empathize with the American Red Cross. You have an American organization going into Haiti and attempting to hire Haitians based on American ideals. But a qualified Haitian is going to look different from an American. An American has gone to a top U.S. university and can culturally speak like an American. When they present a plan for a project, it has a specific start date, a specific end date, very nice numbers and estimates. A Haitian, at least one connected to a community in Haiti, has likely gone to a Haitian university and approaches projects from a Haitian perspective. They would love, love to have a clear plan with a start and an end date. This is a common misunderstanding. Generally, I do not find that Haitians think that planning is a bad thing, and they're actually quite good at it, but they understand the necessity of flexibility in their environment. The project may need to be changed completely within a month of starting. The cost may decrease or increase. You may need to change locations. And so, they would present a plan that would be different. But when it comes to hiring, who do you think the American organization will identify more with? And this is the core of the problem. Responding to a disaster in Haiti is not like responding to one in the U.S. The Red Cross set out boldly on a path to rebuild homes, making huge promises to build back better. And then came the problems, chief among them being land rights. We could do a whole segment on land rights, but let me just throw some figures at you. At the time of the earthquake, only 5% of Haiti's land had a legal deed. These records were kept in binder after binder of paper records. And these binders were stored in no other place than downtown Port-au-Prince in a concrete government building. And when the earthquake hit, the building and the records with it were obliterated. As any Haitian knows, land rights is a major barrier to building. 
If a family has children, each child automatically has a claim to the land. If they all have children, each of these will have a claim, and so forth and so on. It's not infrequent that a conflicting claim will come up years later from a long-lost family member, even after buildings have been constructed. And the courts have to honor that claim. Entering into this bewildering situation were a group of American leaders, used to American building styles, who did not speak French or Creole, and who expected to quickly build tens of thousands of homes. The results were predictable. As we analyze this, we can learn that in the setting of a disaster, organizations with a long history of working in the environment are more likely to be successful. Before we make a blanket statement, though, I want to caveat it. If you are talking about immediate surgical or medical relief, there are organizations that could arrive in a foreign environment and succeed very quickly. For example, Doctors Without Borders can deploy to a poor country within days and be up and running. However, if you compare Doctors Without Borders, who has been working in developing countries and war zones for 50 years, with an organization used to working in American cities, it's not particularly hard to anticipate which one will succeed. But note that even Doctors Without Borders is clear that they work in emergency care. If you're talking about rebuilding, dealing with deep issues, not simply just the week after a disaster, you need organizations that have roots. I'm partial to organizations that are led by citizens of the country. However, organizations led by foreigners might succeed as well if they have a long history of understanding and working in the culture. The misadventures of the American Red Cross in Haiti can teach us lessons about working in a foreign country. And while their story is set in Haiti, it is a case study for Americans seeking to engage around the world. In future disasters, we should look to institutions that have been present and working in an environment for a long time. These are the people that know what it takes to affect change. And this matters. Americans, we don't want to waste our hard-earned money on efforts that do nothing. And to Haitians, this can be life and death. When I hear Haitians speak about earthquake relief, the number one concern they mention was the failure to rebuild homes. Rarely do victims complain about the medical response or the lack of security or food shortages. And think about how important a home is to feeling like you've moved past a catastrophe. If your home was destroyed by a hurricane, would you consider yourself rehabilitated if you were still living in a tent? If an earthquake wiped out your home, would you be able to move on if you were living in a rotten wooden box? While Haiti is a different environment, Haitians are not that different born with the same needs and desires. We should and will seek to do better in the future. Thank you for listening. Every Wednesday morning, we publish a new narrative from life here. We are simply telling stories as we have seen them in Haiti. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a rich history, and there are many Haitian voices that can tell the story of Haiti in all its facets, and we encourage you to seek them out. As we made this episode, some names may have been changed to protect confidentiality. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends or give us a rating wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about the work of Light from Light in Haiti or to get involved, visit us on the web at lightfromlight.me. Thank you and God bless.